I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Revely, revely, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. It is Friday. You've come to the right place. This right here is Morning Combat. My name is Brian Campbell, CBS Sports Showtime. The BBC with the big D. Don't even. Don't even. E. Don't even. The man who's beige as F. Okay? All that and then some... Tall, pale, and handsome, it's your boy BC right here. 6'2 with green eyes. Smile like the sunrise. You know where I'm going with this, Luke? You're giving me diarrhea already. I mean, what would you do if your son was at home, Luke? Uh, this is Luke Thomas, my co-host here. And this is a big show we got here today, Friday. Uh, red background, no J Friday, and a big weekend of combat sports, Luke. I'm talking UFC, PFL, Bellator, Showtime, pay-per-view, ESPN boxing across the horns, right? Balls across the nose. This is a big one. And we've got one message out there to anyone. Uh, if this isn't your favorite show in combat sports talk, one, it will be. And two, fuck your favorite show. Mm-hmm. They, can, they can eat shit. What you got now? Where are you going to go now? Who are you going to watch now? Uh, great to see you, Luke. How's your, how's your week here? Weirder by the minute. <laughs> Yeah. Are you hung over at all? We had sake last night at dinner. Are you hung over at all? Sake it to me, baby. Right? Yeah, oh, God. Are you going to karate chop the air again, Captain, <laughs> Captain Risen? Wow, wow, wow. Uh, we've had a good week here in Jersey City. Are you hung over at all? I'm not hung I have a little bit of a headache, but I'm, I, otherwise I feel fine. Uh, shout out to our great staff here, Malka, Showtime, CBS Sports, putting this shit together. The Orchids of Combat uh, Lounge is, uh, is ready for action. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke, it's been a big week for us in some ways. There was a merch launch. Okay, was it our best foot forward? Did it live up was to the Was there hype? a merch launch? Uh, I am very happy to announce that Merch 2.0 is out right now. Morningcombat.store. Uh, can I be honest? It's more like 1.5. Okay, there's been a bit of, there's been a bit of uh, yeah. backlash. A little, little bit I, of a... Frankly, I think I understand it. You're I, saying it's justified. I think it's pretty justified. So you're, yeah. you're willing to, Dead Wrong Friday, you're willing to point the finger back at us in general and say, we, we promised something. Yes. We, we promised... We over-promised and under-delivered, yes. We promised C-cups, but it was really more of an A is really where you're going. I think A is might be being generous. Okay. It's, well, there's some products out there that you can get. More will be coming in the future. we got great designs. We have international shipping for the first time. And Manish, we do have that. That's if true. you could speak in my ear, we do have a video of some kind to throw to that is merch-related. I've if not seen this. Re- regal the people with this right now, that'd be great. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. I'll work. I'm still going to cut my merch, though, because I fuck with the boys. So, shout out, MK. Yo, if there's one thing about the history of Morning Combat, he's right. It fucks with the boys, Luke. Shout out to that guy for buying our shit, right? What did he say? He's got to do what he's got to do. He's at work. And he, 
He's going to rep the boys, okay? I appreciate that. Thank you, fine listener. Don't quite get the haircut, but I get his fandom. That shows how easy it is, morningcombat.store right there. I bet that guy Fs. Yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. All right, right. he's probably going to look good in our shit. He's got some uh, some swag. Merch 1.0 still out there, store.show.com, where you can outfit your abuela, look like Bill and Jen in the RV all day, every day. Uh, Enough bullshit, Luke. What else we got? Anything else 30-day showtime? Just remind folks to uh, like the video and subscribe. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. We got a bunch of stuff going on today and and in the This summer, BC... MK is going to be busy. The road to busy. 100K for MK. Uh, let's not re- let's not forget here. UFC 264, McGregor, Weigh 3. Probably Do you know what that doubles as, Luke? We'll be on the ground uh, with CBS Sports, uh, HQ, MK, on the ground in Vegas. Oh, I don't want to say where yet, but live shows you can come watch. We are going to have live shows, meaning live, local, late-breaking, in-person shows that you can attend. So get ready for that news. But, Luke, that is our two-year anniversary. Two years of MK. Can you believe next that? Next month. Would you say it's been the best two years of your life? Uh, definitely the best. Sirius XM took really good care of me, but it was so different because I was Yo, just. fuck Sirius XM. No, 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 no. They're nice. There's another company you could say that about, but not them. But this is definitely overall <coughs> overall the best job I've ever had. So, <coughs> Thank yeah, you. it's been pretty this great. This is my second favorite marriage I've ever been a part of right now. Okay, it's a little mean, but, yeah, you know. Yeah. You know. I put you number one in ranked choice voting. I was talking about my wife. you got to protect the home team here. All right, all right. Thank you. Enough of this bullshit. Let's get into the topics at hand. And topic number one, as we look ahead to a loaded weekend preview, we'll get to the Showtime pay-per-view coming up with Gervonta Davis. But up first, UFC Fight Night, Las Vegas, the backdrop. And we have a heavyweight battle that is very integral into, let's say, who will be next in line closer to another shot at that world title. Right now, it's around the waist of Francis Ngannou. But we have unbeaten Cyril Gan. Cyril? Surreal. Cyril. Cyril gone. I guess. From France, unbeaten against a tough ass out and Alexander Volkov, both coming off really big wins that taught us a lot about who they are. Maybe gone unbeaten is the brighter long-term prospect, but he can't fulfill those bright you know, aspirations. Until you get some, through someone like Volkov, Luke, who we talked about this this morning, you and I, in CBS Sports HQ previewing this fight. One thing I said, it's Volkov's stubbornness, Luke, from an X's and O's standpoint. Um, he's not going to put his back on the canvas. You know, he's going to fight his way out of those situations, try to keep it where he does his best work at 6'7", close range with that big jab. What are you looking at as the key in terms of the technical aspect about what we'll see Saturday night? So I think you've got, you know, you, you understand what you're dealing with here. You've got, the, at least in UFC rankings, the third and the fifth best heavyweight on earth. I think they probably are in that space. So you're dealing with high end. This is the best heavyweight fight, I think, of the weekend. And what I would say is, look at some of the numbers, BC, real quickly, if I may. They're kind of interesting, right? We, we, we went over this before. Volkov and Gan are might be at roughly similar levels in terms of their ranking and their overall ability. And the numbers kind of match that, except for their respective records. Volkov has just he's much more battle-tested, I think, is the way you could put that. That's fair. Uh, Gan only has eight fights. He's won them all. But listen to this. Gan has a bigger reach, 81 to 80, first of all. But the big thing that stands out to me about their numbers, this is very interesting. Gan, 5.0. 5.04 strikes landed per minute only absorbs 1.85. You're talking about a near a near plus four positive differential in terms of what he lands versus what he absorbs. Dude, that's very, very, very high. That's extremely high. But Volkov, 4.88, 2.48. Not as good as Gans, but still very respectable. So you would imagine on the feet, both guys like to strike at distance. There might be some work in the clinch. The big difference for me, BC, yes. 
is there's a knock on Adesanya. It's not the same as Volkov, but there's a, there is a similarity that unites them, which is that if Adesanya is going to win, it's not really going to be from a rear naked choke. It could be. It's not really going to be from a takedown and ground upon. Although it could be. It's almost always going to be on the feet. He's going to win or lose on the feet. Uh, I guess lose, we would lose on the ground. He does it with Blahovich. But on the feet, that's his only, not only, but his, you know, that's the, that's the huge major path to victory. The same goals for Volkov. He's not much of a takedown guy. He's not much of a ground and pound guy. If you take him there, like Verdum found himself underneath at times, yes, it can be, he can do damaging work. Why do I bring this up? They're relatively equal-ish on the feet. Gon's only three inches shorter and has a longer reach. I don't think the body type and the frame are going to be all that different. What I do think is different is if you look at where, according to Richard Mann of Fightmetric, where uh, 30% of the overall damage that a guy like Volkov absorbs, it's on his back on the ground. It's a great opportunity, if you can get him down, to do heavy ground and pound work. And for a guy like Gon, who I think has more tools and more access to different parts of the game as a way to win, I'm looking to see to what extent does that play out. Because if they just trade on the feet, I'm not going to say coin flip, but that's going to be really, really close. But if Gon can begin to implement these other portions of his game, you know from the math and from history, Volkov has a known weakness in that department. Although, Curtis Blades couldn't finish him there either. So that is no guarantee, I guess is what I would say. To Gon's credit, despite not, not even having 10 pro fights left, he did have an important challenge in his last bout against Giants. Giants wow. Against Jair Rosenstruck. How about that? Okay. Jair Zinho was, was the uh, long term I was going. Where he went five rounds. Look, he was really challenged in that text, in that um, standpoint. Does he have the stamina to get there? Can he make adjustments in his game? I, th I think we learned a lot from where he's at, despite a limited number of fights, where this isn't necessarily can he swim in the deep end with Volkov. It is to a certain degree in terms of the style matchup, but. I think from Gon's standpoint, he's shown us that he's ready to make this leap. I think it's just going to come down to the stubbornness of Volkov and whether he can get over the top in that regard. Do you see this going the distance? Probably. I think uh, uh, Volkov is tough, man. I mean, Derek Lewis had to hit him with an absolute sledgehammer in that Hail Mary to get that win. Um, uh, big punchers have hit him, and, you know, he can be hurt, to be clear, but, like, to just put him away with strikes. It's actually not that easy to do to this guy. I think he... You got to get inside on him, first of yeah, all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just have to land a home run shot, and even that is no guarantee. So, Gon is capable of that. You know, I wouldn't want to say, oh, that will never happen. But I think what's going to happen is you're going to see a lot of sticking and moving. Now, it's going to be in the smaller cage, right? It's the apex, so that could get kind of interesting about how much that forces engagement in tight, uh, close quarters, like a clinch, like a takedown opportunity. But I think you're going to see Gon stick and move and then mix it up and then take him off his feet and then use that to a fifth-round uh, decision, honestly. Volkov is at his best as a striker, obviously, when he can keep that jab out there, keep you at distance, which is something he does very well. He's hard to chop down with leg strength. He's hard to take down. He's a big boy in there. But if you do get inside that jab, if you can make it a brawl on the inside, would that favor Gon in this matchup? Not necessarily, dude. Like, one of the ways, if you ever, here's just a little, a little rule for MMA fans, especially if you're new. Always pay attention when there's a big height differential between the fighters because height itself, it's less of an issue about jabbing up, although that is actually more exhausting on your, on your muscular, uh, musculature than it is to jab straight because you're fighting against gravity. So there can be something to be said for that. But the bigger part is knees. Knees up the middle. Like, look at someone like, uh, this is the most exaggerated example, BC, would you would agree? Like Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker's knees up the middle, that's like an uppercut. I mean, he can land it. Uh, you know, just so nimbly, but he often exploits it when there's a height differential. Again, not a huge one here, but Volkov is particularly good with those knees in the clinch. He's a big guy, lands with authority. 
it is something I'd be paying attention to. So I think if you're going to get close to him, it's not just about firing the underhook BC. It's about getting to an angle on his hips and then bringing him close to you so that there's no daylight for that kind of thing to happen. It's going to be He's going to have to be really careful in that space. If you just face Volkov head on and you're 50-50 with one underhook and one collar tie, mm, that could get bad. The odds show how close this fight is expected to be. Gone as the slight favorite. Volkov at about, what, a plus 130, I think is what I've seen. Barely, yeah. As an underdog. So I seem, Luke, at the surface, I seem to like uh, Volkov's chances here as the plus underdog because I want him to get Gone into battle and see if he can swim with us in that regard. Against Jair, against Jair Rosenstruck, we saw Gone's movement was great. His game planning was great. His stamina was great. A lot of those things that we like to see. But he's going to have to attack and take Volkov down with punches or, or wrestling to really cement and secure this. I do like Volkov's chances here as a, as a plus dog where, uh, the, like, if you're looking at the Gone career arc, you could see that this could be the, the early loss that he really learns from Absolutely. and gets there. So I, I certainly like those chances. Are you leaning at and I, I would lean favorite? towards Gone. I think the one question I'm looking at, I wonder what you make of this, BC. I'm, I'm trying to decide who is more dangerous. Because Gon, to me, has more ways to win, but that doesn't necessarily make him the more dangerous guy. In fact, people have been fighting. Look how, how over he fought Volkov. I mean, he was trying to stay out of his way as much as he could. In the end, it wasn't enough. Uh, Volkov stopped him with strikes. But this is what I'm sort of pointing out here, BC. What if Gon approaches this fight in such a way that he's the one who's ultimately dangerous? He's the one who's got the power shot and the timing to watch out for because of the two, I'd say Gon is a better athlete, and I definitely think he's the quicker athlete of the two, BC. But Volkov's got great timing, really good timing. He, he finds those narrow windows when his opponents are the most vulnerable. So I'm kind of curious. Like, if Gon does the stick and move thing, to me, he's kind of ceding control of that debate about who's more dangerous to Volkov. But maybe he doesn't do that. Maybe he gets right in his face, backs him up, and then, you know, crushes him. That, I think that would tell us... There's just a lot of unknowns with, with Gon. Yeah. We know he can do fight. certain things. Good we just fight. don't know the totality of it. This is a great test. That's the, the perfect matchup to see that. We talked a little bit in terms of laying down the storylines on Wednesday about what could be next. But I think maybe a best-case scenario, is you, especially if either one wins this impressively, is you could end up fighting Stipe Miocic in like a number one contender's bout. We know John Jones lingers as a potential next for the winner of Nganu and Derek Lewis, which we're thinking around September, the latest uh, right. reports were. Worst case scenario, we also have another similar fight to this, but maybe a step down in the rankings coming up, which is uh, Rosenstruck going in there against Curtis Blades. Yes. So maybe the winners advance and face each other depending on what the future, but either way, the winner of Gon and Volkov on Saturday night are getting very close. To this is, this is what they asked us on CBS Sports HQ this morning. What does the winner between Volkov and Gon get with the win? Volkov, it's a little bit less known. Probably one more fight to get a title shot, but if Gon wins, dude, I, I don't know where else you go. The rankings. Stipe's your, excuse me, Francis is your champion. Stipe is one. Lewis is two. You know what's going to happen with Lewis and, Stipe, and uh, Francis. Stipe is coming so off a loss. Saying, dude, Gon's the next in line. Are you saying because... He, he's young, unbeaten, and represents a, a, a new country in some ways. I know Francis Ngannou represents uh, France, although it's not his native land. But this Via could be Cameroon, a, yeah. a, a native guy, be the champion. Do you think that could elevate him past Stipe? And he could yeah, he, dude, the, he mean, could be facing the winner of Louis Ngannou, and maybe we see Jones and Stipe in some kind of You fight. know, Sean Sheehan shouts to him over at Severe MMA. He, he makes a point about, uh, I, you know, since the pandemic, I think some of this has changed. But pre-pandemic... You know, Bellator had a strong foothold in Ireland, and he was telling me that, like, dude, they're just snatching up all the prospects that are coming out of there. Now, look, like any other country, some of those prospects are going to hit, some are going to miss. I, I'm going to keep saying this, dude. The first promoter to truly unlock and get a grip on France, 
they are going to reap substantial, substantial See, that's an rewards. interesting angle. So Ngannou versus Gan, if, bo- if both win their next fight, on French, French soil, Dude, I, could I, be the equivalent to Zhang Weili knocking out Jessica Andrade on Chinese soil in terms of that spark, right? I, Lighting I, I, that. I would want to talk to a French journalist or someone on the ground there who'd give you a better perspective, but it just I'm just thinking long term. You've got France and Germany and Spain, three enormous markets of athletic yeah. talent in all these other sports. It just and Spain, by the way, is on the come up. You're watching guys from Spain begin to slowly make inroads, but France and Germany haven't really fully leaned into MMA side of combat sports yet. And when they do, it's we are, we are going to be overwhelmed with talent. I'm telling you. Anything else on the UFC Fight Night card this Saturday from an X's and O's prediction standpoint that you want to get into? Uh, I mean, other fights? Yes. Um, not. Well, let's see. There's the, we've we've been through some of the the bigger fights there. The ta- excuse me. The Andre Feely Daniel Pineda fight should be. Just an absolute yeah. wrecking ball of a, of a contest. Tim Means, we talked about earlier. Hanato Moicano, I would like to see get on the straight and narrow, but the one that I've really got my eye on, I said it on Wednesday, I'll repeat it one more time here very quickly. Shavkat Rachmanov taking on Michelle Prezerish. If you guys don't know who Rachmanov is, I have a feeling you're going to find out. He's 13-0, probably going to be 14-0. Prezerish is a very, very tough customer. This is by no means a walk in the park. But, dude, you look at this kid on paper and then, and then what you see on tape, and the, you get the, I won't say alarm bells, BC, but you get the idea that, like, ooh, he could be he could be something special. Absolutely unflappable, total composure under fire, um, well-rounded ability, heavy-handed. And when he wins, BC, when they announce his name and they raise his hand, because they've done it every time he's fought, he's got all these dead animals he's wearing. Have you seen the hat? I have not seen this. My man, my man is from the country, okay? This dude, let me tell you Eating something. a lot of peaches? You know, he might like President of the United States yeah. of America. I don't know. All I'm pointing out is he is a he is a guy you want to keep an eye on for sure. And I'm here for all the slop in the co-made event with Tanner Boser against OSP. I'm telling you, this is the moment that we that we were all thinking, well, OSP's done, right? No, these are the moments where he comes out with a big KO, and you're like, holy shit, I forgot he can still do that. Yeah. Right? Get ready for that this Saturday I night. I called his fight against Pedro Hizzo back in the day. Damn. No, was it Pedro Hizzo? No, it was not. It was somebody else. Hold on. Who was his other fight that I called against? Well, what promotion was this? Luke? Oh, it was like a he, he fought at the DC Armory. Is this the pre- promotion that you called an early Brendan Schaub fight? I didn't even no, know about one. this. It's a different That's one. That's a great story, by the way. Yeah. It came up in Miami when we had the dot cameras and we were all kind of bullshitting that you called Brendan Schaub's third pro fight, potentially? Second or third. I would mm-hmm. love a sit-down with a video where you two break down where you're at in your lives yeah. and your hairstyle so choices. So Washington Combat Battle of the Legends. Pedro Hizzo was in the main event. He fought Claudio uh, Godoy. And he, uh, he fucked him up. So I, I called that fight. So that was his 10th pro fight. Wow. Wow. Also this Saturday, of course, Luke, it's a, it's a big fight. It's Showtime pay-per-view from Atlanta. And it's Gervonta Davis, the two-division world title holder. One of the rising stars in this game right on the peripheral of most people's top 10 pound for pound. Well, he's going to move up two weight divisions from where he was in his last fight, Halloween night, when he knocked out Leo Santa Cruz in his pay-per-view main event debut. It was the knockout of the year. It was his biggest victory to date. Luke, we've now got Davis at 140, making his debut against Mario Barrios. You and I hosted the press conference stream yesterday. Brian Custer was asking the questions there in Atlanta. And today at 2 p.m. Eastern, if you hang out on Showtime Sports' YouTube channel, you will check us out hosting from right here, the weigh-in. So we'll see Gervonta on the scale. We know he's had problems in the past at 30 and 35 in terms of making weight. What's he going to look like at the, look like at this new weight class? And the unbeaten Mario Barrios, who has the WBA regular junior, welterweight, super lightweight title, whatever you want to call it. Luke, uh, the title is secondary in nature and in terms of importance here. The importance of this fight 
is can Gervonta carry that power, that calling card? Yes, he can box. Yes, he's a magnetic star in almost like a mini Mike Tyson or the smaller weight classes way where he can uh, attract casual fans. But there's becoming this brand circle around him where when he shows up on your screen on Showtime or on pay-per-view, you're going to have to see it. You're going to have to see what happens next. But it's because of that power. Are you of the belief he will be able to carry that power up to 140 against an aggressive, hungry Mario Barrios? Yes, I, I am of that belief. I, you know, Mario Barrios has been... Um, I've been impressed with him. I've been impressed with him in the tape study. I've been impressed with him, how he's carried himself. And this, this is the biggest fight of his career by a country mile. He has fought on big, The last card he fought on was big, but it was against, you know, opponents he was just remarkably better than. And he, he made short work of them, like an opponent of his, uh, of his uh, caliber is supposed to do. Still, I think that what Gervonta is going to be able to do is show us that his power is um, transcendent in ways that perhaps the skeptics are not fully ready to accept but he's going to make them accept it after this weekend, I think. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that, to me, it's going to be inevitable that Gervonta is going to put huge punches on him. I'm less concerned about that happening or that being a reality. I think what's more interesting to me is what happens when Gervonta gets hit a little bit. That's something that we haven't talked about really at all, at all in the, the build All the story here. is, will his power carry? I, yes, I, I think it probably will. But, dude, Mario Barrios is a legit 140-er. You're going to have to, like, slim down. Tall, long. And, and, you know, he's got a good jab. And, by the way, he is not afraid of exchanging. Yeah. Now, that might cost him like it did Leo Santa Cruz in the last one. Not the same mistake, but that you asked how does he na navigate distance. Part of the way that Gervonta is a series of tools. Part of the way he does that is he elicits strikes, blocks, and then rolls with them and then has his counter-striking ability underneath in those particular circumstances is extraordinary, and his power is, you know, it's, it's, it's epic, to put it mildly. But, um, but this is a true 140-er, man, a true 140-er barreling down on you, and a guy at 140 who we saw against an Olympian in Batir Akhmedov dropped him in the 12th round. His dropped power. him early and dropped him late. That yes. was for the vacant title in 2019. Uh, Batir will be back on this card, by the way, right. kicking off the pay-per-view in a fight against former champion. So let, Mendes, let me ask but, you, let me spit it back to you. What is, what is, what is more mysterious to you? whether uh, Tank's power will translate, or to what extent does Barrios' punching uh, really make an impact on I Tank? I still say it's whether Tank's power can translate. And there's a major reason here in terms of his positioning. I mean, we heard it at the, at the press conference on, on Thursday. You couldn't have said it better when Leonard Ellerby, the CEO of Mayweather Promotions, and like, look, from day one, Floyd Mayweather has grabbed Gervonta Davis, propped him up and said, this is the next guy right here. To Davis's credit, he has lived up to that. But Leonard Ellerby told Mario Barrios, like, this is the guy who wants to fuck up quote unquote, our best laid plans. And between Al Heyman of the PBC and Mayweather Promotions, they have massive plans, Showtime as well, for where Gervonta Davis's star can go. If he can go up there and prove at 140 that power's not an issue. And to be honest, he's used to being the smaller man, used to having longer opponents across from him. Luke, this could open the doors for him to maybe not be waiting around at 35 long-term to try to get some of those big names. Maybe he goes up first, establishes himself in the money divisions of 40, especially 147, and then it's just like, I'm the star, everybody has to come to me. That's if that power establishes it. But more specific to this fight, if we find out early that he's not going to have the same one-punch knockout power and threat in this, that Barrios can take his best shots, then the 12 rounds that we have uh, become very interesting on Saturday night. Because Barrios... Although he's got Virgil Hunter, who's a technical defensive trainer, and although Barrios is doing better 10 fights in with, with Hunter in terms of trying to use his jab and maintain distance, look, he's a fighter at the end of the day. And if Davis cannot get him out of there with one punch, 
This is going to be high-speed chess territory where you're going to see a mixture of aggressive, not brawling, but aggressive two-way fighting in close. Mm -hmm. But you're going to see a lot of technique because Gervonta's going to have to box in ways that he's never had to before if he can't hurt Barrios earlier. I think an extra five or ten pounds, however you want to look at it, you know, from 130 to 140 um, or 135 to 140, whatever leap you want to say he's making. I think that the power dude, I think he's going to benefit from that tremendously. To me, that's not the issue. I can't wait to see what it looks like on the scales, BC, because what I want to look at is – what did he do with the extra five pounds? Sometimes I've seen guys put on the extra five pounds, and it didn't really suit him. In fact, it slowed him down. Like Again, who's going to be faster here? Tank, in theory, should be faster. But if he's not managing his weight properly, does that speed carry over? Moreover, BC, we know power for Mario Barrios translates late in the 12th round, mm -hmm. and his cardio is great. What is the extra five to ten pounds, depending on again, how you want to look at it, what's that going to do to Gervonta? I don't have any concerns about the power per se, more about how he manages all of his cardiovascular and other kinds of resources. Because, dude, if that takes a hit, everything else takes a hit. Your power takes a hit. Your footwork takes a hit. Your defense takes a hit. To me, it's about what does he do to manage his body at 140 pounds so that he can take all the gifts that he has in his other two weight classes and then bring those up Absolutely. to bear at this one. Because if you're just going to compare these two fighters head-to-head, -head, now they're both 26, they're both unbeaten, they're both in their physical primes, but Davis... Is, Clay, is the more, maybe. more skilled fighter, faster. He might be the bigger puncher. We're going to find that out. And he's been in there against much better experience. Davis, from like age 19, 20, 21, was in these really big platform fights with the pressure on him being pushed as boxing's next big thing. And he's passed, again, all those tests inside the ring. We still need to see from Barrios whether he can box on this level against somebody of Davis's stature, whether the bright lights of this stage aren't big enough. I think the there's enough gap in weight and size naturally that it just comes together perfectly. This is kind of like the perfect fight and the perfect test for Davis. If he can't get those big names at 135 and he says he tried, then this is a great way to spend your time, right? Moving up and waiting, seeing how you can fare here, trying to get a title in a third weight class. Uh, I think we're going to see action here, Luke. Yeah. I, I, I tend understand to some of the matchmaking here. The matchmaking is smart for, for, for Tank Davis. Let's just be honest about it. it, it not that Mario Barros is some pushover, but they're not getting a defensive expert. I actually think that might be really problematic, at least at this stage in Gervonta's development if he wants to go up and wait. But they got a guy who's going to come forward on him. I think in the end that may make some other difficulties for him that he has to navigate. I'll be curious to see how he does it. But if you had to ask Tank Davis and his team, would you rather have a guy that comes forward or would you rather have a guy that sticks and moves that's kind of hard to corner when you for your first fight, for your first fight? at 140 pounds, I guarantee you they would say, let's get the guy that comes forward. That's going to enable a guy like Tank Davis to have much more success given some of the reach disadvantages. Here's what's really interesting. From day one, Tank has been largely compared to, to Floyd for understandable reasons. Same promotion, Floyd's been yeah, the guy with so the arm around him. But he's so different as a fighter. The other major comparison you get is Mike Tyson calling him sort of the Mike Tyson of the smaller weight classes, which you get that from the standpoint of, I'm going to watch this Tank fight because I'm hoping and thinking he's going to knock somebody out and he typically always answers the bell from the standpoint of giving you action. But how about this comparison, Luke? Tank might actually be a little bit more like a Manny Pacquiao from the standpoint mm. of when Pacquiao started to take those big chances and rise up and wait. Now, granted, Pacquiao started at 106 and 108 as a teenager, yes. but when Pacquiao went from that 122, 126 level and started moving up to lightweight, to, to 140, eventually to welterweight, eventually to 154 to face Margarito, it was the fact that May, that the speed and the power carried up with him that was so incredibly impressive. And maybe at welterweight, Pacquiao wasn't a one-punch threat anymore, but still that speed and that power could catch up with you over rounds. I think Gervonta could end up being that kind of fighter where he just carries his power and speed 
with him as he goes, the size difference is, is not going to matter as much. And under that regard, I don't think he's going to one-punch Barrios, but I think over the second half of this fight, once we get into it, once so he figures out how to get inside, he's going to chop. One thing that Davis does great when the momentum has turned in his favor is he chops you down with short, with short shots. Yeah. He's a hunter, and he'll come in there from the southpaw stance and give you these, these left-handed just chopping shots that put you into position to be finished. I could see that happening. I think Barrios is going to give him a fight. I think they're expecting Barrios to give them a fight. But I think you can see a late stoppage here from Gervonta in spectacular fashion. And look, this will mean a lot. This will put him in that top 10 pomp of if he's not there already yeah. on most people because this is now three divisions. Pay attention. Showcasing it. Pay attention to where Barrios is in this fight. If his back is up against the ropes, that's bad for him. And um, if he's consistently backing up Gervonta, that's good for him. But less that. See how many times he walks into Gervonta's punches. That Gervonta will be setting traps. It's not like he's just going to blindly walk in. But, I mean, to what extent is Gervonta successfully able to weaponize any of that forward pressure? Yes. Because once, if he can take away those two elements from him, I don't know really where else he has to go. So we're going to see. By the way, I like the Pacquiao comparison, but honestly, I think Davis is a slicker boxer than Pacquiao. He's got a little... So technically slicker. See, the thing about Pacquiao is he made this unorthodox package... Once he added some craft to the unorthodox nature, ball. it was just different because of the angles and the yes. explosion and the speed. Davis is more of a technical boxer than that. I'll give you that. Davis Davis has better defensive trunk movement. He's yeah. got a lot of pull counters that he lands. I, I think Pacquiao's got, you're right, he's got a lot of zip and pop and angles and activity. He's like an energizer bunny. Uh, Davis is a little bit more rooted to the ground in that way, but but he, he doesn't. He has no problem being the counter puncher, which is something that Pacquiao has done but very well. I do like your up. I do like your point. Every time Pacquiao moved up, he just brought those those gifts with him. Uh, maybe they ran into like their apex at like against Margarito or something. Although he fucked him up too, but you know he couldn't put, finish him off or Claudie or something like that. But you're right, I like that comparison. Barrios is going to have to be the bigger man. Obviously, the jab is going to it's going to begin and an end. If he can establish that jab early, he can set himself up to do things later in the fight. But he's got to prove that he can give Gervonta pause with the counter shots that he lands, and he's got to try to be the bigger man and keep the smaller guy away and try to offset that speed advantage. Look, Gervonta uh, does a great job at getting inside your, your lead shots, swiveling, as you said, with the torso and getting in there and landing big ones. So it's going to be fun. Luke, quickly on that co-main event, a title eliminator here at 154 pounds with Erickson Lubin and Banana, Jason Rosario. We know Rosario's fresh off the knockout loss to Charlo in their unified title fight. Luke, this has a lot of potential positioning in terms of who gets another title shot. It's two guys who are just a little bit flawed but have knockout power and knockout willingness. Rosario's a little bit more wild than Lubin, who's the better boxer. I see fireworks coming our way, and I think Rosario is going to make Lubin have to stop him. Yeah, I think that's right. I think Lubin is... To me, would you agree, by far the slicker of yes. the two? Yes. Um, and maybe you can even argue, I think, a little bit more battle-tested a little bit, too. Definitely. Um, I think just Rosario just did not have the showing that he wanted to in his last fight. He was there sort of, not, I'm not by accident, it's a strong word, but a little bit by surprise, I think you could argue. And, you know, listen, he was fighting the best guy in the division, and it didn't go his way fair enough. But I think he wants to remind folks, I'm of this ilk as well. I'm of yeah. this caliber. But to do that, really, the only advantage you can really say that he has is he's probably a little bit more of the physical Im imposer type of the two. So he's got to find a way to make the slick boxer shell up, cover up, and he's got to be able to lean on top of him, uh, pressure him backwards, really corner him if he can. So Lubin, if he's as gifted as he says he is, and he just might be, he's going to have to use that to avoid some of those physical tools that a guy like Banana has. And here's why this is so important. Some of the bigger names, Eris Lara left 154. Jared Hurd's coming off a big loss. 
J-Rock Williams coming off a loss and an injury. He was supposed to be on this card and pulled out last minute. When Jermel Charlo and Brian Castaño on Showtime on July 17th fight for all four titles at 154 pounds, the winner is going to be looking for a fresh opponent who's next in line. The winner of this one on Saturday, this co-main, could decide that if somebody can come out here, win spectacularly, and really make a statement. So no doubt about it. And as then you mentioned before, don't lose sight of the fact that the opener on the pay-per-view, the guy who is in it, Batir Akhmadov, fought Mario Barrios and gave him everything he could handle. Was, title, maybe, yeah. was maybe winning that fight until he got dropped. By the way, he didn't get hugely dropped, just his gloves touched the, the, the surface of the mat, which counts in boxing as, a, as being down, um, and then lost the decision. But he is a very, very talented guy, also looking to capture maybe some of that lost momentum that came from the Barrios loss. No question about it. Uh, also tonight, Luke, Showtime, 9 p.m. Eastern. Well, hold on real quickly. Can I give you the breaking Bellator news? Yeah. Uh, so I guess they counter-programmed us. They had a, uh, they had a, uh, a press conference for Fedor. So Fedor Milenko says uh, he is going to return. Um, to Russia, so Bellator is going to have its first ever event in Moscow, Russia, at the VTB Arena. Do uh, we have a date? Uh, it'll be October 23rd. Um, so there it is. We, I don't know that we, they've named an opponent, but the organization Bellator will make their uh, Russian debut. I have to say, fighter, you know, uh, Fedor in Russia. That's not bad marketing. That's going to be. That, uh, that's going to be pretty. That's going to be. going to. They're going to go bananas. So do we right go now. big? Do we go someone like a? Now, I was going to say Alistair Overeem, but he just signed with Glory Kickboxing. I mean, yeah. is it somebody, you're going to go somebody big on that level? That's a great question, because here's the thing. It wasn't, it wasn't in any way Fedor's fault, and I think Bellator has parted ways with Rampage. He came into that fight, let's just call it what it was, unprofessionally, you know? Um, you got to be something better than that. So that's not, Okay, that's you not, want something sneaky here? You want something sneaky? Here's yeah. some sneaky, great matchmaking. You know who's hot at the moment, bro? The winner of this fight? Anderson Silva. That's who's hot at the moment. Ho, 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 okay, I know ho, ho, I know ho, ho, your reaction ho, ho, ho. is weird here. You're like, oh, BC, no. Then you're like, wait, ho, ho. let me actually BC, think about that. you are good at this. Let I, me actually I, I, think about that. This. Anderson Silva at 205 against like a 213-pound Fedor. I'm going to tweet that. See what kind of reactions I get. <sighs> okay. Call me, Scott. I'm ready. I'm ready, all right? I'll, I'll replace Rich Chow. Uh, Bellator is tonight, 261 from the Fight Sphere, Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut. And Luke, for the first time in Bellator history, we have an interim title at stake. When 36-year-old Timothy Johnson, a surprising turnaround in his career and story, will go in there against Valentin Moldovsky, the unbeaten fighter from Ukraine, for this interim title. Why do we have this? Because Ryan Bader, former two-division champion, currently still the heavyweight champion, is back in the light heavyweight World Grand Prix trying to regain his title but Luke, Timothy Johnson's an interesting story. He had been in UFC before. In fact, he'd been in Bellator and won and lost against the very best, where you sort of looked at him as a journeyman. He's been sneaky getting into better shape. He's got big time power, but you'd have to agree with me, Luke. It's more of something internally clicked with him because that three fight win streak that he's on right now has featured two knockouts against some good names. And now he's in the position to Kind of do something that when you first learned of Timothy Johnson, maybe you didn't think was possible. I've, see, I've covered several Timothy Johnson fights in person, and he just never had this verve or swagger ever. Um, you know, listen, he's 36, which we know in, let's say, flyweight, that would be kind of old. Not bad At heavyweight. That's not really that old. In fact, that's, I don't know if I want to call that prime, but in terms of your mental approach to the game, your competitive approach, you still have a lot of the old physical tools. Remember, strength is the last to go. That's actually a pretty good time for a heavyweight. And I think also, listen, man, you know, when you watch, you know, I watch a lot of soccer. And, and when I first started watching, I remember all the commentators were talking about these guys, the strikers at the front of the line. And they'd be like, well, he's missing these shots because he lacks confidence. I'm like, motherfucker, are you a world-class striker or not? But there is something to be said for that, dude. Like a lot of these guys, they live and die in their own minds a little bit. Well, this is stop it right here. I'll finish, I'll finish. 
So for a guy like Timothy Johnson, who's had a chip on his shoulder and has and has really been annoyed at how overlooked he's been, three-fight win streak, and by the way, I overlooked a few of those uh, fights where he's had some wins, he's just kind of been like, you know what, fuck you, fuck, fuck the world. I'm going to go out there and just put it on people, and I think that confidence honestly has brought the best out of his skill set. Nothing to lose. It's me against the world. I think you can even make that comparison to, to in our position or anyone's job. Look, we're not taking punches like Johnson, but you'd agree there's levels to confidence. The more success you get, the more times you have to sort of re-level yourself, Luke, in terms of your work ethic, in terms of your confidence, in terms of where you're at. I think Johnson just got to a point of a ceiling to mediocrity where he just had a oh it moment. It was like, you know what, I'm going to go for it. And that's made him more of a dangerous counter strike, I mean, power puncher in terms of walking guys down. We know he can be durable. We know he's tough to manhandle on the ground. And Luke, you would agree against Valentin Moldovsky, who's the betting favorite coming in because he's younger, he's faster, he's probably a little bit more skilled. He's got the Sambo background. He's Team Fedor. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And we've seen an influx of talent taking over, whether it be Vadim Nemkov of Russia, who's Team Fedor and is now the light heavyweight champion, whether it be unbeaten Ukrainian Yaroslav Amosov, who's come in there and made the welterweight division in Bellator his. You have to wonder now, is the future at heavyweight Moldovsky, who, yes. who has looked really good, but has he looked good enough to get you of this belief that he can manhandle Johnson and take this interim title? Manhandle, I don't know. Win, certainly. I mean, I think the reality is, uh, if you look at some of the recent Bellator signings or some of the ways in which they're approaching talent recruitment, they're making bets on the future a little bit. Like, you know, Amosov didn't necessarily wow people with entertainment in his win over Douglas Lima, but that was an investment for the future, dude, because that guy is obviously extremely talented, and they want to get out in front of that. And so as he matures and becomes something they can really get behind, they can, you know, use the fruits of that labor later. I think Moldovsky's kind of like that. This is only his, like, 11th or 12th fight, something around that area. You know, like Gon, he doesn't have a ton of pro MMA experience, but he has a lot of competitive experience, and the thing you pointed out, BC, a lot of physical tools. He's not as big as Timothy Johnson, but he's certainly a lot more muscular, and you don't want to lean too much into that, but I mean, the guy's obviously quite athletic, but I think it's actually going to be one of these heavyweight versus cruiserweight type of fights where, you know, if you're 6'4", 240, okay, maybe you're not as big as the guy who has to cut weight to make 265, fine, you're giving up some size, but... He's probably going to be really strong. He's probably going to be quicker. He might have better cardio. So even if the wrestling, let's just say, because Timothy Johnson, by the way, very underrated wrestler, let's say it cancels that out, you've still got some other physical gifts. So that, when you need to step on the gas, you got that extra gear. Look, we've been previewing this card all week, very aggressively, CBS Sports HQ. We've been all over it, way in post-coverage, multiple hits. And one thing that, we've, that I've talked about is kind of what you just teased there. They're both big guys who can wrestle on the ground and administer ground and pound there's that chance it can cancel each other out. So if it becomes a striking battle, you get why Moldovsky, younger, quicker, maybe a little technically better, has a certain edge. But if I'm Johnson, I gotta make this a fight. I have to not try to go five rounds and win a decision here. I have to make this a fight. You kind of playing with house money in this late career resurgence. The, the, the waves parted and opened up for him to get an interim title and a chance to stand pretty high up on a platform and then wait for Ryan Bader to come back in, whether Bader comes back in with two titles or comes back in off a loss trying to regain that light heavyweight crown. Mm -hmm. He's in a spot, Luke, where I think you have to continue to try to take this opportunity. Not go out there and try your best take this opportunity, which means taking the fight to Moldovsky and trying to finish him. That's right. And I would also say, like, what is the, if you wanted to, I mean, I don't work for Bellator, but if I had to think about this, like, what is the pitch to watch this? Because if you're a UFC fan, you're like, well, I've seen Timothy Johnson. What's the point? Well, one, this is a much better version of Timothy Johnson. I think the tape shows that pretty clearly. But more to the point, I'd actually argue it's pay attention to Moldovsky. Now, we don't know. We don't know if he's going to win. But a guy this young who's already this good, granted it's an interim title fight, so, you know, some of the fans are like, well, do we care about interim titles? 
you want to pay attention to Moldovsky here because he could be the champion of the future. He could be the fighter that, uh, you know, listen, Bellator's already going back to Russia. This is a guy they can really get behind and build. I don't know if he's that guy yet. Like, Nemkov has gone out there and proven it yes. at 205. Amosov, and proven I want, it. And I want to, yeah, Amosov has proven it. I want to be clear. I don't know if Moldovsky is that guy, but he's at, le- at least worth thinking about as being on that level. And so that's something you want to pay attention to because he could be a really important player in the heavyweight division. And you know who else seems like they're ready to prove it is unbeaten, uh, I'm sorry, not unbeaten so far in Bellator, Magomed Magomedov at Bantamweight who will be on that July 31st Pitbull McKee card, which we all can't wait to see. And uh, there's Eastern Europe taking over right now in Bellator. Let's see if Timothy Johnson, the American, can slide that. Quickly on the co-main event, Luke, because it's it's largely a number one contender's bout at women's flyweight when the veteran two-division title challenger in the U. UFC, the gorilla, Liz Carmouche, goes in there against an unbeaten Kana Watanabe, the judoka, Luke, mm-hmm. who beat Arislandi er- er- Lara, good God, Alejandra Azulara in her last bout. And I like the confidence coming out of Watanabe entering this fight. Did you see that face-off yesterday? I saw that, and I saw in her uh, media conference interviews where they were comparing her judo to Ronda Rousey's, and she was like, hold on a second, I respect Ronda Rousey. But her judo's got nothing on my judo. We're completely different fighters, and I feel like I'm a much more evolved, more dangerous version. I like that fire and that spirit. But Carmouche is a tough out for a reason, Luke. How do you see this one playing out? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is a weird one for me because I can't quite tell where Carmouche is in her career. The, The last fight she had against Shevchenko in UFC was terrible. And she had one really good performance in Bellator and then one kind of ho-hum along the way. And so it's like, is she just, are these just a function of matchups? Was there something going on in her personal life? Is she just declining with age? Like, well, I, don't, I don't know what's coming, what's going. Physically, she still looks the part. She looks like she'd be in tremendous condition. Here's what I would say. Let's assume you've got a Liz Carmouche we understand to be on the better side of things, right? Let's just sort of use that as the operating example, BC. If you look at the tape on Watanabe, her striking is just not it's, not, it's not great, but her takedowns are authoritative and her ground control and her submissions are excellent. She's okay. very strong, too. Super, do all those judokas do. They grab a hold of you and it's, it's like getting, you know, it's like a, like a orangutan is grab, grabbing you. They're very, very strong uh, because of the way they train. So listen, it, to the extent that Watanabe can close the distance, that's what you saw in Alejandra Lara. You know, on the feet, Lara may have had something for her, but on the ground, if she was just totally overwhelmed, I don't think Carmouche has that kind of um, weaknesses in that way. But here's the thing, BC, you've seen it as, as well as I have. There have been times when, you know, maybe she can't get things going, Liz Carmouche, on the feet. So what does she do? Gorilla will pick him up and then drop him. Oh, yeah. But if you do that to Watanabe, you're going into a territory where she has the advantage over you. So, like— Submissions. So here's the thing. It's like, on the one hand, Watanabe has the clear weakness on the feet standing. On the other hand— is Liz Carmouche 
a little bit gun shy in her older age? Is she a little bit more uh, patient, maybe to a fault, so she doesn't put it on her in that in that area? Like you can see where she can win, but is she going to pull the trigger enough to do it? Is her striking more of a function to set up her, what she can do on the ground, or at this point in her career, can she use her striking to be a weapon and, and win this fight? In that but also, regard? like, dude, she'll just take a lo- she'll take rounds where she just poses off in front yeah. of her opponent at times. She's very passive against Shevchenko. Now she's not again. Watanabe Shevchenko, the difference on the feet couldn't be bigger. But at the same time, it's like, you know, let's see where Liz Carmouche is at. Because yeah. this is a very winnable fight if it stays on the feet. If it goes to the ground, it's, it's anyone's. And they'll be fighting for a chance to face the new champion in this weight division, Brazil's Juliana Velasquez, who looked fantastic in disarming Alima Lay McFarlane to win a five-round decision there. And she'll be back in July against Denise Keelholtz, who currently is the number one contender. So interesting business there in the women's. By the women's. way, updates. I asked people what they thought of your uh, Fedor versus Silva idea. A lot of people like it. Here's another one they keep saying. What about Fedor versus JDS? He's free. Yo, that that's bombs away territory. That's one of those Super fights where away. you're like, washed because on wash J- crime. J- JDS would stick behind the jab, and Fedor would just come. He's in with just his. gonna. If Fedor's gonna spend a minute and a half just going for the knockout. He's the king of I mean, circular punches. Like yeah. he's gonna. He's gonna. He's go just after gonna it. bend at the waist and throw haymakers. That's the one. You could do that one. I don't, right, know, I don't know if I like that fight for JDS. To be honest, you know. With the chin, I mean, he could. He Silva, could. I like it a little bit more. It's going to end up on the ground when somebody gets knocked down. Yeah. Yeah, Fedor's got vicious ground and pound, too. But Fedor gets himself in bad positions on the ground often. Yeah, he's also deeply undersized at heavyweight, but that's always been the case. I mean, we remember when Bigfoot sat on his chest. That was a dark night. It was a dark night. Yes, Strike Force sat me in the very last row of media to the point where I could feel the fire on the back of my neck from the pyrotechnics, and there was actually no one behind me. I had literally the worst seat you could get. So. All right. All right. Ciao. Also, Luke, uh, tonight, Friday night, uh, our next topic is a preview of PFL is back. Not on Thursday, as they have typically been running, but tonight they will run, um, is that ESPN, ESPN2, one of those, one of those Luke, either mm-hmm. way. Decent card, headlined by women's lightweight bout as these two weight classes, both heavyweight in the men's side, lightweight on the women's side, 155, will make their own playoff push. We, of course, just saw that with the welterweights and whatever the other division was when we talked about last week, Luke. Kayla Harrison in the main event against veteran Cindy Dandois, who's fought for Invicta, UFC, Bellator, just about everyone. 36 years old, does she have... Any sort of path to victory, and that's not a disrespectful way to look at this matchup. It's just that Kayla Harrison is operating at a level. The, the defending champion in this division won last season's tournament, won the million dollars. But, Luke, this season, it's a different Kayla Harrison. The mojo is rising, if you will, Luke. I mean, she is going in there with a purpose to finish you and then cut a wrestling promo on the microphone afterwards. Give me an upset path to victory for Cindy Dandois. I can't find one. I can't find one. I mean, this is... I, it would take a miracle. Uh, miracles happen in MMA. Crazy. This is a crazy sport. I, there's no good reason why Kayla Harrison shouldn't absolutely steamroll her. I mean, okay. I, I, I'm just trying to be honest. I'm not trying to be disparaging or unfair or tell you something about the, the world that's not the case. But this is a, I won't call it a mismatch, BC, but they're not on the same level. But, I mean, i got to give, we've given PFL credit. They've turned things around to a certain degree this season. This is the best season they've uh, ever had. They've, they're giving us a lot of reasons to tune in, but... Um, Kayla Harrison is in that perfect sort of bubble where it's like, I want to see her against anybody. I just want to right. see her. Like, you just want to see the, the path of destruction Listen, that she can Listen, they're doing the best they can, finding the fighters that they can, given the circumstances. This is a weight class that doesn't exist anywhere else. That's right. Yeah. It's just, and also, you, you have someone where even if there was a filled-out weight class BC, she still might be the best one of that one anyway. So between the fact that you've got missing pieces and you've got this generational talent, I want folks to understand something. Two American men have won medals before. Travis Stevens got a silver, and Jimmy Pedro got a bronze. In what? In what? In judo. In judo. Okay, in Olympic judo. 
Uh, no man has gotten more than that. Kayla Harrison has not one but two gold medals. And by the way, women's judo is a worldwide participatory sport. It's a very, very dom, or uh, I should say, very, very filled out brackets. Right? Very, very hard to succeed. She's got two gold medals. We're talking about the best judoka in American history by a mile. It's not even close in that sense. So, dude, you got one of those kind of and athletes. And she's built like a tank, straight up. You ever she seen is, her in person? She is dude, an impressive specimen. You ever seen like a real, you ever seen, like, what, name the last pro athlete you saw in person. Like in person, not not fighters. I mean like at the airport or whatever, like a basketball player or whatever. I don't, I, look, I, you know, I don't really so hang I, out I remember, with pro I remember, athletes. I, I, was, okay. I, was, I was in New York and I saw Rasheed Wallace walk into where I was. Dude, when a real pro athlete walks in, they don't look like normal humans. Yeah. Kayla Harrison looks like that when she walks in the room, dude. She's a real athlete. And so you're asking how Cindy Dandois can win, you know. A dude like in the Galata fight comes out of the sky and lands yeah. on her. Like I, I honestly don't know. Just uh, develop a COVID punch, something. You so, know, yes. some kind D of finishing gay fever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know. don't know. Uh, a, an interesting element to the co-main event because lightweight Anthony Pettis, a big free agent pickup for PFL uh, over the off season, will have his second fight this season. Yeah. He fought against Clay Collard in his debut. And it was a wild fight. It was bad shit crazy. Collard gets the victory, but there were big swings of momentum. Both guys were hurt badly. And now we have Anthony Pettis against Rosh Manfio. Can you educate me? Do you know anything about this opponent? Because the storyline here is, like, can Pettis turn this around and get a win and get into the playoffs here? I don't. I think this is a bit of a setup fight for Pettis to get back on the winning track. Because um, if you get, just to help people know how the standings work, if you get a... Like a first round finish? What do you? You get much more. Yeah, you get maximum. You, there's a maximum amount of points you can get. Which six is six points. per five. Yeah. yeah. So if Pettis can can you know pull a Showtime kick out of here in the first round, he could be right in playoff contention. So he could. That's not the fight I'm paying attention to though. The fight I'm paying attention to is Movlid Habalayev taking on Lance Palmer. Lance Palmer, multiple time winner. He's been there since it was World Series. But he fighting. lost his last last fight. He, he did. He did. But he's gotten. Bubba dude, Jenkins took it. Dude, no one has made more in obscurity than Lance Palmer. He has made stupid amounts of money. Because he was like, I don't even care about the UFC track. I don't care about the Bellator track. I want to be in a tournament that I can win and just get a million bucks. And I think he's done it twice now, plus all the other money he's gotten along the way. But this dude, Movlet Habalayev, dude, he is undefeated. Uh, he looks like a hammer, an absolute hammer. So a good fight. That should be a – and Palmer, as you mentioned, Bubba Jenkins that was cracked, a good fight. cracked the code. I think Habalayev might be able to do the same. He is a tough customer. All right, do you feel the uh, heavyweight bout between Dennis Goltsev and Brandon Sales? Yeah, it's here? okay. Goltsev is the guy you want to keep your eye on. Sales has been sort of around, has done some decent work, but has never really sort of broken through. Maybe this is the, the moment that he does, but Goltsev is the they, – they've got good Russians over there. they yeah. got good Russians. Did, so is Verdum out of this tournament because of the medical issue? I think he is. He had to withdraw. He had a brain issue, remember? Yeah, he, he had a CAT not, scan. That's not That's not. Yeah, wish him the best. Yeah, wish him the best. Love him. El Cavallo? Vai Cavallo. Vai Cavallo. Which means go horse. Go horse. I thought it meant the horse. No, no it go means, horse. It means go horse. All right, Luke. Uh, that's your MMA preview of the week, but we have a big boxing weekend. In addition to Gervonta Davis on Showtime pay-per-view, uh, the ESPN top-ranked side of things is a very interesting fight because 33-year-old Vasily Lomachenko, your former pound-for-pound -pound king and certainly a multi-division champion in this game in the short period that the former two-time Olympic gold medalist has had as a professional, has a very interesting bounce-back fight. We saw last fall the loss against Teofimo Lopez Jr. Luke, in which uh, Lomachenko started late, to, to, to put it mildly, started at the second half of that fight, putting it on Lopez, rallied to have a, I don't want to say a, an argument of victory, because I thought he lost a close but clear decision, but, you know, he turned it on late to at least show you that if he had had a different game plan or, or whatever, or figured out Teofimo earlier, 
he would have a chance, have, have had a chance to maybe win that fight. So now he's coming back against Masayoshi Nakatani. And if you don't know who this guy is, he's a very interesting lightweight because he's so tall and long. He pushed Teofimo Lopez Jr. And really the only bad outing we've ever seen of Lopez. He had a lot going on on his personal side. He was distracted, but Nakatani was a tough out. They went the distance. It was a counterboxing performance for Nakatani. He also just rallied to knock out Felix Verdejo, a former bright prospect. So this guy is tough. If you want to see whether Lomachenko still has it, I like that this is a weird style matchup against a defensive, longer sort of guy who can box to really show that. It's not, he's not fighting a bum. He's not fighting a bum under any circumstances. And but to me, it's like, I, ha, I don't know if we share exactly the same view on Nakatani. I tend to think that, um, I tend to think he'll win rounds early, but I just feel like he's going to overextend, and, and he does pretty consistently. And for a guy who's just the master of angles and, you know, finding the open shot on a long, rangy opponent... Who doesn't have bad defense, but um, can be made to look that way based on the particular skill sets that Lomachenko. He's gutsy, though. Nakatani's gutsy. Super gutsy. Like, dude, Lomachenko doesn't have an easy fight here at all. I just feel like this is the kind of fight where if Lomachenko is the guy who we still think he is, because yeah. he took that loss to Lopez really poorly. Not, he made, he not, made all, if, you, if you weren't following, Lomachenko made a shit ton of bad excuses on yes. that fight. I mean, he didn't handle it as bad as Deontay Wilder did, but he handled it very, very poorly. So you're kind of wondering, like, where is he? Does he understand what actually happened against Lopez, that he just took the first half of the fight off and then complained about the decision? Still, if Lomachenko is who we think he is still, and I tend to think that he is, 33, he should still be very much uh, play the part, this is his fight to lose. Not so much early, but over the long <coughs> off. So if he's, if he's careful early and takes his time and then makes the reads, for a guy like Nakatani, who I do think has some clear vulnerabilities despite the advantages that reach typically confers, Lomachenko should have his way. But what's interesting in Lomachenko here is that even before the loss to Lopez, there was this whisper going around that it's not is Lomachenko washed. He was your pound for pound king. But it was is the fact that he's biting off more than he can chew by fighting consistently at lightweight, 135, where he's always giving up size and length advantages. And even though he had great wins over the, you know, Pedrazas or the uh, Jorge Linares, Linares dropped him in that fight. I mean, they were there were some close elements to that. There was that beginning whisper of is he quietly getting older in front of us? Now, you could argue that Lopez is just a different kind of force, a future potential generational talent. He's gonna have to, his career is going to have to play out, but what we saw him do in the first half of that fight was shocking, and I can't figure out whether that, was, whether that played into the idea that Lomachenko is slipping just enough, and that's why it took him so long to adjust or whether Lopez is just that kind of young force at 23 with big-time power and speed and angles and IQ. He showed us a mature performance, and he fought off Lomachenko's late rally. Look, you remember round 12? Lopez hurt him. Lopez walking him down. Yes, Lopez, so, Lopez was the one who finished the stronger of the two. So it's like, is Lomachenko getting older, or is 135 just not something that he can consistently be as dominant in, and should he consider moving back down to 130? In some ways, this fight's going to tell us that, right? Yes, I think... That, um, it could tell us that. I don't think it's a guarantee that we'll, like, this is the proving grounds that lets us know definitively whether he should. But you're asking, is there a is there a plausible way in which this fight could go that it could give us a clear sense of that? Yes, 100%. So while we rightfully talk about the the four princes, as Karen Mulvaney calls them, these, this four group of lightweights, Durante Davis, Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia, Teofimo Lopez Jr., who have next in this game. Now, look, Durante may be moving up in weight. We don't know. Shakur Stevenson is also close by in this group. I don't think we talk enough that Lomachenko, being that he can fight at multiple weight classes in here, could be the perfect veteran to end up testing a lot of them if these fights can be made, right, Luke? He could he could develop into that. 
I don't uh, want to say as a gatekeeper, but I want to say as a, if you are truly elite, then go beat an old Lomachenko. You have no idea what I just said, Luke. I could have said, I, penetrate you anally, and you're there's like- There's a good reason like, why I don't know. I'm actually like super pissed right now, but okay. Uh, I'll tell you about it later. I, I'm sure I got the same text. Oh, Yo, you did. Okay, okay. Uh, so yeah, Lomachenko on Saturday, Luke. Check that out. Free on uh, ESPN, right? Or is it on the plus or is it on the I ESPN? I don't know. All I know is that it's a fight that's happening, Luke, okay? So that's what All I right. got for you here. Let's pull it back together. All right, Luke. Um, I don't think we're wrong in uh, being excited about all these fights that we previewed, but sometimes, Luke, because we are allowed to speak into a microphone for upwards of 12 hours a week, sometimes we do get things wrong. Yes, we do. And we'll take that L when it's right, when it makes sense, when you can back it up with timestamps and proof. And we got a segment for it every Friday where morningcombat at gmail.com is the email address where you, t- you, you shoot your shot against us. You challenge us. You say, no, BC and Luke, you were wrong, and now you got to face the music. In this segment, Luke, dead wrong. Are you going to do this, or? All right, Luke, our first dead wrong is offered from Adam this week. He says, on Thursday's live chat, Luke, 30 minutes in, Luke was referring to a fight. This was last Thursday, Luke. Okay, because I didn't do one yesterday. Yeah, are you going to be in on this? You in on this or what? I'm, I'm in on it. I mean, that can wait until after. I understand. You know I understand. I'll wait here, Luke. I'll just. No, no, no. Uh, do it. I'm listening. Okay. You said Kamaru Usman and Damian Maya being overshadowed by his 30% comment. Luke was yes. referring to a fight with Usman and Maya being overshadowed by the 30% comment that Usman made, meaning that he's only giving, what, 30%? Yeah, that was 30% of what I could do. Or Luke, like you are dead wrong. The fight with Emil Meek is when Kamaru stated he was at 30%, not sure? Jamie and Maya. This is per Adam. Mikey, our producer, I hope he fact-checked these, okay? I, I'm not... Okay, I, listen, he might be right, but hold on. Let's do, do the next one. I'm going to verify that. 30%. Let's see. All right, Luke, our next one is from Stuart. Oh, he might be right. Yeah, take that L. Sit All right, down, straddle all that. Out, All right, okay? I will. Uh, I will Squat sit there and down uh, on it. Munch, munch, munch. Mm, this L tastes excellent. Thank you. All right, Stewart chimes in. Says for the dead wrong segment, Luke has repeatedly said, including this week in Monday's show, that the embassy in India is American territory or American soil. I'm gonna say British. That is dead wrong, bitch. It's actually. Not. I added the bitch. Right it's actually there. not. But okay. NBC embassies actually remain part of the territory of the state on which they are situated, this is absolutely but not are true. subject to immunities and exemptions right. from the laws of that state under international the treaties. Ri- the way it's written in my birth certificate, it is written under American territory. It's absolutely not there true is a at dis- all. There is a distinction between jurisdiction and territory. Assuming yeah. Luke was born in the American embassy in India, he may have been born within American jurisdiction, yes. but not in American territory. Love the show. Keep up the great content from Stuart, who's a... PhD. It says Stuart W. He just L- wrote PhD. You don't know if he's a PhD. LLB, LLM, and LL Bean, and a PhD. He's he, he just making up words. Yo, and, he's and, a doctor, letters. bro. Okay? Yo, you just got served by a doctor. I yo, guess. Yo, he just gave you a prostate exam on the air, dude. Well, right? He found a lot of feces then. Take that L. <laughs> okay? And, and it's about time, Luke, you come clean and be one with your Indian background. Yeah. yeah. I don't have an Indian background. I was there for six months of my life. That's it important six months, I'll tell you that. The, the, the first six. Because it made you a bitch. It, it hasn't made you a changed. Bitch. Yeah, all right. Our final dead wrong of the week is from Greg. Wow, all three coming at Luke hard right now. You know now. what? You call down the thunder, you got to be prepared for it. Uh, Most of the shit you say is just incoherent rambling. You can't really fact check it. John Nash, prove me wrong. Oh, yeah, I got dead wrong by John Nash, and he's right. Okay, the other day when we were talking about Meryl Streep, 
I was naming all these roles that Glenn Close played, thinking it was Meryl Streep. Oh, you did do they, that. They didn't are you? two different people, Luke. Yes. So and I, then you told John Nash, prove that Glenn Close and Meryl Streep are two different people. I mean, can people. you prove it, John? Okay. You think they didn't get a backroom handout of cash as a bonus that didn't go documented? Do you think so, John? Um, so I guess you should finish the question I asked you on Wednesday. Would you get to know Glenn Close in the biblical sense? Prime Glenn Close. She went to William and Mary. So that's a yes, just so you can talk uh, fraternities <laughs> together, you know. What, what, what? Hey, Glenn, did you play quarters with my Phi Betas? Did you? you, did, know? you uh, did you? Were you a part of the Greek life? Is what we would say to to peasants like you. Yeah, probably. I guess. <sighs> well, the final L you'll take this week. Cool hand Luke Thomas was dead wrong at 14 minutes and 22 seconds of episode 171 when he said Cyril Gan made his UFC debut in his third pro fight. Gan actually made his UFC debut in his fourth pro fight with his first three fights taking place in Quebec's French-Canadian MMA scene. Loving the Four Kings docuseries, by the way, on Showtime. Interested to hear Luke's thoughts once he finally decides to watch. Great question, Greg. Peace out from Canada. Wow, Greg, he came at you, like many Canadians in your past have. Yes. And, but he did kind of soften the blow at the end by saying, Luke, I love you. I hope yeah. you can watch the Kings doc. I hope you can report back to the people. Yes. Your thoughts on all of this. I will do that. Can you, can you keep your personal life out of the show? It's not my personal life. Could you keep, could you keep your personal life? It's not my personal life. Wow. Wow. Do you know how efficient it is on Fridays when BC hosts? Guess how, guess how deep into the show we are right An now. hour. I mean, how, how fucking smooth was that? But you know there are a lot of people, Luke, who DM me and say, BC, you probably should have been hosting from day one. No one says that. This is normally oh, I should the, say, no one who I care about says that. This is normally the part of the show, Luke, where we would ramble and go tip to tip and, and give a recommendation. I would share some vinyl that I'm deeply rooted in and, and into right now. You would probably share some, like, cream or something that people can put on their sores or rashes. Um, are we just going to sit here and just be weird for 30 minutes, or you just want to end the show? You just want to end we, the should, show? we should end. We, we have something to discuss. Is, is that code word for you have to shit your pants? That's partly it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've had three coffees. I love when people's biggest criticism of our show, like, uh, like they'll be like, you know, it's a great show, but Luke's bowel movements really get in the way of some great content. They're not wrong. I think that's overstating it a little bit, but does it get in the way of maybe more, you know, uh, softer landing, so to speak? Yes, it probably does. All right, well, then here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to wrap a little bit early, but here's what I want you to do. Go to morningcombat.store. Check out our new merch. <laughs> Excuse me. You may be underwhelmed. I don't know. But I'll tell you, there's some good shit on there, and there's some better shit coming. True or false? Yes. Oh, in terms of merch? Yeah. We've, we've addressed the concerns yes. that you have we've had. Heard, so. we've, heard, we've heard what you had to say. We think you're largely right. We would like to do something about that. Okay. So there you go, right? I think okay. it's fair. That's fine. Luke would like to buy a mug for every single one of our subscribers. That's right. Well... With Showtime's money, yes. Okay, okay. With your credit card. He would sure. like to donate his Versace robe to one of our Versace. time listeners. All right. Uh, that is the deal here. Uh, a lot of great content from Showtime this weekend. Bellator 261 tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern. Showtime pay-per-view on Saturday night, also 9 p.m. Eastern. Gervonta, Tank Davis, and Luke today, you and I, 2 p.m. Eastern. On the Showtime Sports YouTube channel, we will be hosting the Davis Barrios weigh-in. You're going to want to see them on the scales going face-to-face. Us going tip to tip. It's going to be a good piece of business, so get on that. Luke, any final message to the fans, to the haters, to anyone? No. 
It was good to be here with you these last three days. I've enjoyed doing the work with you that I normally do. Are you, are you trying to tease that it may be the, the end? No, no, the no, no, nothing, nothing that serious, no. Okay. I didn't iron the shirt today, but you can't tell. You can't tell. I, I can tell. You can't tell how wrinkled I am. You know? Yeah, yeah. Look at the, yeah. Wow. Uh, that's it. I'm done. That's it. Why don't you close it? That's it. Uh, for the great staff here, I'm BC with the BDE, that guy who's beige AF, and this is Luke Thomas, and this was the best show going in combat sports today. Big weekend of fights coming. Enjoy it all. Saturday night post, I will have a morning combat reaction to the Gervonta Davis-Mario Barrios fight. Check that out. Luke's very anal and angry. We're out of here. May all of your ex-lovers stay satisfied. This was Morning Combat.